Amen. Greetings, church. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to uh, go ahead and get myself situated here in just a moment and trust that this presentation will work. Um, if you have your bulletin, there's also a little blue handout. Oh, praise God, it works. All right. Uh, that you can follow along with and track with me. Um, just as a, uh, a fun fact, this Friday, we actually, uh, past Friday, we were at the uh, uh, Hallover Beach. We got to uh, kind of have a good time with those who worked in VBS, and it was really good. Uh, Kathleen made her special strawberry and coconut cake, which is, you know, me, I'm all in. That's, that's awesome. Dave was throwing it down on the grill, and everybody had a good time. And so my boys and, and the girls and everybody had a, had a great time. And just an extra special thank you to those that worked in VBS. Big thanks to Dave and Kathleen for all their hard work. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord God, I am no more aware of my inadequacy than right at this moment, right now. God, nothing I say will be of any consequence if your Holy Spirit doesn't move, Lord God. So God, right now in this hour, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Bless and be with this message now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, it's funny, when I was praying, I just thought when I said this hour, I think some people got nervous. Uh, don't worry. <laughs> you know, when you think about running, there's, uh, there's one guy that comes to mind. And if you're a Jamaican, you know exactly who that guy is. Uh, oh, see, I didn't have to, I'm not going to dab up here, but yeah, Usain Bolt, you already know. You know whose name doesn't get thrown around a lot, though? Consuelos Kipruto. Consuelos Kipruto was a gold medal runner in the steeplechase. The reason I bring that up is because when we think about the Christian life of faith, sometimes I think we tend to think of it as a sprint, but what it really is is more like the steeplechase. In the steeplechase, you've got seven laps around the track. You've got 28 hurdles that you have to jump, jump over, and you've got seven water pits that you have to fall into to run, and it's difficult, and it's arduous. And I think it speaks exactly to how we experience the Christian life. A.W. Pink once said, the Christian life is not a thing of passive luxuriation, but of active fighting the good fight of faith. Active fighting the good fight of faith. I think that's my problem with the prosperity gospel. It's not about $55 million jets and cruising and comfort. It's about being engaged and fighting the good fight of faith. He echoes, A.W. Pink, the Apostle Paul's sentiments in 2 Timothy 4, 7, where Paul writes, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. What's that word? Race. I have kept the faith. Church, the Christian life is not a passive thing where believers merely exist quietly in between the time of their initial faith in Christ and the perfection of that faith in eternity. 
Christians are called to action. They are called to grow in faith until ultimately they become conformed to the image of Christ. We weren't called by God or summoned by God to sit on the sidelines or in the stands, comforted by our one-time profession of faith in Jesus Christ with no evidence of that reality. In November 27th, 19-whatever, I, I walked down an aisle, and there's nothing in my life that gives any credence to that reality at all. That's not what we're talking about here. We are called to action. We are called to involvement in what God is seeking to accomplish in and through us. Church, our profession of faith in Christ is meaningless, meaningless, if it is not accompanied with the fruit that results from obedience. You know, the fact of the matter is that we are in a race, and this race has eternal consequences. Either you are running the race or you are not. If you are a Christian, then you are in the race. My question to you this morning, church, is simply this. How are you running? How are you running? Are you running in such a way so as to obtain the prize? And Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 9.24. Know ye not that many run, but only one wins the prize. Run in such a way so as to obtain it. Are we running that way this morning? Or are we just hobbling along ineffectively on the track of life? Are you running with purpose or have you grown apathetic towards the things of God? Our text this morning is found in Hebrews. And what's interesting about the book of Hebrews are the passages that talk about not falling away, enduring in your faith, and persevering to the end. Passages like Hebrews 2.1, 4.1, 6.4, and 10.26 through 30. These passages were not written to imply that one can lose his or her faith, but rather the purpose of the passages was to warn those who were thinking of walking away, who were moving in that direction, that if they do this, to think of the end result. This is not, church, this is not a message to legalistically guilt you into performance for Christ. It is, however, a message to remind you that if you are in Christ, you will indeed persevere and endure to the end. It is a message to remind you that if, there, if you are in Christ, there should be evidence that you are running with purpose. Let me ask it to you this way. If you lived your work life the way you live your Christian life, would your employer be pleased? Or maybe this way would be more helpful. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? How are you running? This morning, my proposition is simply this. Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we should live the Christian life with purpose. We should live the Christian life with purpose. Jesus is the founder. That means leader, pioneer. He is the perfecter. That means he brings it to completion. And since that is true, we should run in such a way that we live with and run with purpose. But what is this race that we are called to run? 
Again, I think A.W. Pink says it best. He says, the race that is this race, the race is that life of faith and obedience, that pursuit of personal holiness to which the Christian is called by God. Turning from sin and the world in penitence and trust to Christ is not the finishing post. I think a lot of times we think that. Man, I pray to prayer. All right, great. Turn to faith in Christ, repent of sin. I'm done. That's it. No, that's the starting point. The Christian race begins at new birth and ends not till we are summoned, he says, to leave this world. The prize to be run for is heavenly glory. The prize to be run for is heavenly glory. The ground to be covered is our journey through this life. That is the race we are talking about. If you would, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Word of God says this. The writer of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this. He writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God. My first point this morning is, in living this life, in running this race, because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we should be purposeful in our mortification of sin. We should be purposeful in our mortification of sin. In verse 1, we see it says, let us also lay aside every weight. Christians are to lay aside every weight. Living the Christian life with purpose means that we are serious about killing sin in our lives. Time after time in Scripture, we see the exhortation not to simply control sin or manage sin or restrain sin. No, the imperative is to kill it. Paul writes in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, in Colossians 3.5, he writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Again, in Titus 2, 12 and 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives, upright, godly in this present age. So we see, church, that the exhortation from Scripture is to put sin to death and to live godly lives. You look at verse 1 of our text, we see the word therefore, and it points back to the fact that there were examples of saints who attested to their faith in God. How? 
with their lives. Hebrews chapter 11 is filled with Old Testament saints who evidenced their faith by how they lived. By faith, Noah did what? He built an ark. By faith, Abraham did what? He left the country of his forefathers and went to a land that God was showing him. By faith, he did these things. And so the main point here is that we have many examples of the saints who faithfully trusted God in the past. John MacArthur observes, motivation for running the race is not in the possibility of receiving praise from observing or onlooking heavenly saints. No. He goes on. Rather, the runner is inspired by godly examples. The godly examples those saints set during their lives. That's what inspires them. This great crowd or cloud of witnesses are not comprised of spectators, but rather of ones whose past life of faith encourages us and others to live that way. They ran the race too. They had the race to run, and they ran it successfully. It's an encouragement. So in light of this, the writer of Hebrews tells his readers that they are to lay aside every weight. The Greek word for weight is onkos, and it means an impediment. An impediment is something that interferes with or delays action or progress. So a weight is anything that impedes our running the Christian race successfully. Whatever impedes our, or slows down or blocks or gets in the way of us running the Christian race effectively is a weight. And the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says we are to lay it aside. Got to be serious about mortification of sin. We are to lay it aside. What's interesting about runners is that they get rid of anything unnecessary before running their race. And you know this. Uh, the gentleman I mentioned, Consuelos Kiprutu, he's a Kenyan. You look at his race, he's not, he doesn't have a parka on. He doesn't have Timberland boots on as he's running this grueling race. Everything that would fetter or, or hold him back, done away with. You see it every time you watch an NBA game. When somebody's getting into the game, what, are you, what, what, what do they do? Take off the warm-ups. Get them off. I'm about to play. I'm about to run. I can't have this getting in my way. The Christian life, we have to be that way as well. This is, there is nothing externally obtrusive on these runners' bodies that would slow or impede their running. They have removed all excessive burdens so that they can run with purpose. They can run to win. Winning doesn't mean finishing first. Winning means finishing. That's what we're trying to do. Finish this race. What did Paul say? I finished the race. He didn't say I won. I finished it. That's what's important. Or rather, he didn't say I finished first, but I finished. That's what we're calling for. That's what the writer is calling for here. The same must be true for the believer. We must lay aside any self-indulgence, habit, or association that would hold us back from running with purpose. And this morning, I don't know what that is for you. Again, I like how A.W. Pink says this. He says, laying aside every weight is a call to the sedulous and daily mortification of our hearts to all that would mar communion with Christ. All that would mar communion with Christ. Is there something in your life that is disrupting your communion with Christ? It needs to be laid aside, put to the side, gotten rid of, not managed, not restrained. 
Get rid of it. Why? So that you can run effectively. That's the point. That's why. He goes on. Everything which requires us to take time and strength away from God-appointed duties and everything which tends to bind the mind to earthly things and hinders our affections from being set on the things above is to be cheerfully, cheerfully relinquished for Christ's sake. In other words, church, whatever is disrupting or hindering your effectiveness for Christ must be laid aside. Whatever is weighing you down such that your running is impeded must be discarded. You may be sitting here this morning saying, you know what, Johan, I, I don't feel weighed down. I don't feel any burdens. And my response would be, that's probably because you're not running. It's probably because you're not running. When you're sitting comfortably on the sidelines, it's hard to be aware of the weights you have. But once you begin running, you quickly become conscious of what is holding you back, slowing you down, or impeding your progress. The writer of Hebrews tells us that we are to lay aside every weight. And again, I, I don't know this morning what your weight is. It could be a friendship. It could be Netflix. I don't know what your weight is, what that thing is that's preventing you, holding you back from being effective for Christ, for running effective for Christ. I don't know what that is this morning. But I do know that each Christian has to determine for themselves by honestly searching the Word of God and earnestly seeking God's wisdom from God what those weights and hindrances are. We have to lay aside every weight. Secondly, Christians are to lay aside the sin which clings so closely. And I'm going to move quickly here. So we could say that weights are those external things that hold us back from running effectively. But in this sense, not all weights are sins. Your job isn't a sin. But when your job becomes the end-all, be-all, when it prevents you from being dedicated, committed in the presence of Christ, you got a weight on your hand and possibly a sin. Dr. Thomas Constable notes, he says, encumbrances are added weights or burdens that may not necessarily be sins, but nevertheless make perseverance difficult. However, many different kinds of sin can trip us up, and we should avoid all sin for this reason. So, in other words, not all weights are sins, but all sins are indeed weights. As Christians, we are called to lay aside any kind of sin. But when we read Scripture, we have to read it contextually. We have to look at the context. And based on the context here, the writer of Hebrews seems to be referring especially to the sin of unbelief or apostasy or falling away. And you see that in the warning passages I mentioned earlier. Constable again points out, in view of the immediately preceding context, it might refer to losing heart, quitting the race, or giving up the fight. Right? Turning away from it, maybe reverting back to that Levitical system of sacrifice. 
You read Hebrews, you find that the whole point of Hebrews is Christ is better. Christ is superior to everything, to angels, to the law of Moses. You read that, that, that book and you keep seeing that word better. Abel offered a better sacrifice. Better. And these Hebrew Jewish Christians may have been tempted to fall back on their profession of faith and revert back to the law. Now, church, as a Reformed, uh, we, we believe in and operate under the system of Reformed theology. We affirm the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Once saved, always saved. Scripture tells us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. But God does use means to ensure that he has chosen who he has chosen will persevere. He uses means. God uses our continuing faith, right, that perseverance, that endurance. He uses our continuing faith as the means by which his persevering work in our lives is active so that we will indeed endure to the end. Colossians 1, 22 through 23 tells us this. He says, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if, big if there, big word with two letters, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He's not saying that you earn your faith by running. What he's saying is that people who truly are saved will run. They will continue in the faith. And it's as we continue, God gives us that perseverance to see it through. But because sin is always a thing that will keep us from running the race of faith effectively, we must be purposeful in laying it aside. We cannot run far if we are tied down by the weight of sin in our lives. We can't do it. We cannot run uh, distance, run the distance if we are pulled back by indwelling sin, if we are fettered by these weights, these burdens that don't need to be there. We need to get rid of, lay aside those weights. But you know, when we go through difficulty in this life, we may be tempted to hang up the towel, walk off the track, and quit. But this leads to my second and for this morning final point. Because Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, we should be purposeful in our manner of running. Look at the verse. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run how? With endurance. We need to run with endurance. That's the manner of running. That's how, as Christians, we are to run with endurance. And, and the word endurance there is very important. It means steadfastness, the power to withstand hardship or stress, especially the inward fortitude necessary to do so. I love how William Barclay, uh, the theologian William Barclay, defines endurance. He says, quote, it is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Obstacles don't daunt it, and discouragements don't take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries on until the end, and in the end, it gets there. 
That's how we are to run, not letting obstacles or anything else get in our way. That's why I love the steeplechase as my illustration, because there are plenty of obstacles that want to get in your way, but we have to continue, press forward. What did Paul say? Uh, Forgetting what is behind me, I do what? I press on toward the upward call of God in Christ for which he has called me. We are to run in such a way that quitting is not an option. The idea is that of a determined mindset to continue despite opposition or difficulty. What's interesting is that the word race here is the Greek word agon, which literally means struggle, fight, or conflict. It's where our, uh, we get our English word agony from. The race we are called to run is not easy. It's not an easy one. And it can be quite agonizing, and this is made painfully clear by the struggles and conflicts that we deal with in this life. I mean, we go through it, don't we? A loved one passing away, the loss of a job, internal family issues, a wayward child, marital problems. All of these things are brought to bear on us in this life. And these kinds of issues can be crippling and even cause some people to walk away from the faith, to give up and to stop running altogether. You know, but it becomes increasingly more difficult to endure when we see unbelievers succeeding, getting by. Seems like they're making it. No problems. They actually appear to be getting ahead in the world. We see that, and it makes our running all the more laborious. Wow, I'm, I'm trying to live for God. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do what's right. And this guy's living in sin. He's wicked. And look at him. He's got everything. We can't look to this world and place expectations on this world that can only be met in heaven. That's, that's what we see when these people we see apparently getting by. That's what it looks like. But they're not. Don't be fooled. But what I love about Scripture is it's re- the realness of Scripture. Scripture's real. Asaph, the psalmist, felt this way when he wrote, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, and their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. I mean, we can identify with that. But the psalmist, however, would go on to write, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is my strength and of my heart and my portion forever. Church, God is our portion. God is the one who continually is with us. That's why we can endure. That's why we can run. He holds our hand and gives us counsel when the world seems difficult and agonizing. And it does. Believe me, it does. The writer of Hebrews says here that we are to run with endurance, steadfastness. We must press on in the faith. In Hebrews 10, 39, the author writes, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I'll end with this passage because I think this says it all right here. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not grow weary 
of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Church, may we not give up this morning. May we run with steadfastness and endurance. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, we go through difficulty and struggle, and it becomes difficult to run this race, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us, by your grace, the ability to run this race that you have set for us, Lord God. We thank you that we have someone who has run this race already in perfection, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We give you all praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.